Friends, this fall we've been focusing in sermons on our covenant relationship with God, the essence of which is God's statement, I will be your God, you shall be my people. It is this God to whom we belong and who we are called to worship and serve. As we began the season of Advent last Sunday, Dale talked about Jeremiah's text about the promise of a new covenant relationship based on God's amazing grace and mercy. And we believe that promise, that new covenant promise, was fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ, God incarnate, whose birth we celebrate this month. But have you ever paused to wonder, why didn't God just text us? Or why didn't God just inscribe a message to us, maybe on tablets of stone? It would have been a lot less trouble than coming to us in Christ. But instead of a document or a stone tablet, as you well know, God sent us a person. God understood the importance of coming to be with us in Christ, to share our human experience. God knew the importance of companionship. Think about it for a minute. How critical is companionship? Often parents use as sort of a disciplinary technique, a, a timeout. If children misbehave, sometimes a way to deal with it is just, okay, honey, you need to go to your room and spend some time thinking about what you just did or said. In a much more um, serious situation, a prison inmate who attacks someone often ends up in solitary confinement for some period of time, totally cut off from other people. In a premarital counseling setting, one thing I try to discern from couples is what they yearn for most in a marriage relationship. And there are all kinds of possible answers, but the one that I hear by far the most often is the desire to find a life companion. And when we celebrate holidays, we just had Thanksgiving and we're in the season of Advent, we're looking forward to Christmas. When we celebrate graduations, weddings, rather than simply texting or phoning, we want to be with family and special friends. The same holds true before and after the death of a loved one. Now, it's often moments of crisis and loss when we yearn not only for human companionship and support, but for God's reassuring presence, God's companionship in our pain and struggle. Now, Matthew tells us that Jesus' birth is best understood by a verse from Isaiah the prophet about the coming of a child named Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Today's text is very complicated, and it describes a uh, situation, a foreign policy crisis in the 8th century before Christ. And this is complicated. I think probably most all of us have heard this text before. Let me see if I can try to simplify it as clear as I can. Ancient Israel had a civil war, although it was not as long as ours. And in our case, of course, the Union held. In their case, the union did not hold. And so the result was after King Saul, David, Solomon, you had the divided kingdom. And in the north, you had the ten tribes called Israel. They took the name. And their capital, by the time this uh, 
message comes to Isaiah the prophet is in a city called Samaria. Samaria is also a region, but it was also a city. And in the southern uh, half of the country, you had two tribes called Judah. And their capital was at Jerusalem. Okay, excellent. Good knowledge. All right. So in this passage, you're going to hear about two neighboring states that threatened the king of Judah, Ahaz, with a military conquest unless he joins their confederation in opposing the great superpower of the day, which is ancient Assyria, modern Iraq, friends. So uh, the, the nation of Syria, in our text, it's gonna, you're going to hear the word Aram, that's Syria. Its capital is Damascus. And Israel, the northern kingdom. So these are fellow Jews. They band together to try to put pressure on King Ahaz. And they said, if you don't join our coalition in rebellion against Assyria, we're going to replace you and put a puppet king on the throne in your place. You can understand he's very nervous. His citizens are very nervous. Jerusalem is surrounded. What shall they do? Well, that's the text that Jan is going to come and read for us. It's from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And then notice that Matthew's gospel in explaining the birth of Christ is going to take one verse from that passage to explain the meaning of who Jesus is. So listen carefully then as she reads Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So you've got to, you, today is you really need your thinking caps on. Jan. First from Isaiah and then Matthew. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah, son of Ramalia of Israel, went up to attack Jerusalem, but could not mount an attack against it. When the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son Shear Jassub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and the son of Remalia. Because Aram, with Ephraim and the son of Remalia, has plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and cut off Jerusalem and conquer it for ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king in it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of God, It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years of Ephraim will be shattered, no longer a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, 
and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with him, with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before those two kings you are in, dread, will be deserted. The Lord will bring you on and your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And continuing the reading in Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord told him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jan. So what does God tell the king through the voice of the prophet Isaiah? That he should not be intimidated by the threats of these two neighboring states. Instead, Ahaz should put his trust in God. Take heed, be quiet, he advises. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. The prophet delivered the assuring message that the evil plan of Judah's neighbors to replace him as king the king of their own choosing would not come to pass. Isaiah even invited King Ahaz, and this is rare in scripture, to ask God for a confirming sign, anything he wanted. And he feigns piety, and so a little bit, I think, perturbed and impatient, Isaiah then names the sign. A young woman will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In other words, Isaiah tells Ahaz, 
Well, this is what he tells him exactly. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, in other words, before he reaches the age of accountability, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. Well, friends, in fact, within a year, in 734 B.C., the siege of Damascus took place. And it was just 13 years later that the city of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes, was destroyed by the invading Assyrians and wiped ancient Israel off the map, leaving only the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, we're uncertain of whose son was part of this promise, this sign. It might have been the son of the prophet, Isaiah's son. It could have been King Ahaz's son. We honestly don't know. In either case, the name Emmanuel will remind the people that God will be actively present with them in this crisis. Now, there's an interesting pattern running through Scripture. God promises a number of people, I will be with you. And the list includes the patriarch Isaac, the patriarch Joseph, Moses, Joshua, King David, to name but a few. And according to Luke's gospel, when the angel Gabriel gave Mary news of her miraculous conception, he said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And according to Matthew, with his very last words, the risen Christ promised his disciples he would be with them. Well, eight centuries after Isaiah spoke these words of comfort to King Ahaz about the birth of the child whose name would be Emmanuel, God inspired Matthew, or the writer of the gospel which bears his name, to see Isaiah's text as the perfect explanation of Jesus' true identity as the incarnation of God in our midst. God embracing our humanity and becoming our companion in Jesus. In Isaiah, the Hebrew original tells us that a young woman or a maiden would conceive and bear a son. The Hebrew word used there is the word Alma, and it's used to describe a woman of marriageable age. Later, when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into the Greek language, this is very important, friends, in the second century before Christ, in order to get a broader readership, of the Hebrew Bible, it was translated from Hebrew into Greek in the city of Alexandria. We know it today as the Septuagint. This is interesting. Every time, every time a New Testament author quotes the Old Testament, every time they reference the Greek, never the Hebrew, which is just an interesting fact. Anyway, the translators then rendered Alma, what word did they choose? The word Parthenos. Now, it's more specific than the Hebrew word Alma. It also references a young woman of marriageable age, but Parthenos includes the ingredient that such a person is definitely a virgin. And in his Good News document, Matthew picked up on that word and applied it to Jesus. He found in it an anticipation of the virgin conception of Jesus and also the perfect name for the one-of-a-kind Son of God. God is with us. What better way to express God's incarnation in the person of Jesus? So in Jesus, God embraced our human condition and became an authentic person, not only as a sign of God's promised presence, but as the concrete fulfillment of that promise as well. 
Now, friends, in general, in the Hebrew Old Testament, God is pictured as the supremely transcendent, above us God. The glory of the New Testament is that the great transcendent above us God has become the imminent with us God in Christ Jesus. In many ways, Jesus came to be with us. We read in Matthew's gospel, he came to be with the sick to heal them, with the demon possessed to liberate them, with the poor in spirit to bless them, with the anxiety ridden to free them from worry, with the judgmental to warn them, with the grieving to comfort them, with the lost to seek and save them. I once interviewed a seminarian who was doing a a hospital internship, and she was really nervous about it. And she wrote of her experience later, and she said, when I began my hospital experience, I was afraid to enter a hospital room. I was afraid I'd say the wrong thing that I wouldn't be able to answer patients' questions, that my own faith in Christ would waver in the face of the pain and struggle and sometimes death that they were facing. Instead, I discovered that people really aren't so much looking for answers. They're really looking for someone to understand what they're feeling and to be present with them in their pain. In other words, friends, they're looking for someone to be with them. Prior to Christmas years ago, I took a group of children to sing in a nursing home, not as talented as the psalm singers you just heard earlier in this service. And after singing carols, then the children were paired up with the old people, you know, one-on-one. And one little boy was matched with a woman who had a very advanced case of Alzheimer's disease. He stood close to her and he gently clasped her one hand in his, both of his hands. And when I approached them, I heard the woman talking gibberish to the little boy. So I, I came up and I asked him quietly, can you understand anything she's saying? And he answered, no, but she seems to want me to be here. What is it that we celebrate at Christmas? That God didn't just send a message, but instead came personally to be with us, to be our companion in Christ Jesus. Friends, the above us God has become the with us God in Jesus Christ. As Matthew tells us, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Amen. Oh, you've come.
shine brighter in us so we ways in which God promises to be with us is through prayer. Christ promises that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he is here among us. 
as we turn to our time of prayer, in the middle of this prayer, I'm going to just pause for a minute to rest. So just wanted you to have a heads up that that was coming. Let us pray. Almighty God, you who are Lord of time and the bringer of hope, we are rushing headlong into the holidays to come. We look at our calendars and our planners and wonder how we will get everything done in the time allotted to us before the big day arrives. We begin to panic at the thought of shopping still to be finished, projects to be done, preparations for festivities that have only just begun, and exhaustion, worry, and darkness clouds our minds and spirits. Let us pause now and rest in you. Help us call to mind those who we say we will pray for, yet in our business and our hurry, we forget. You are a God of time and light. You bring hope to us as you always have through the voices of the great prophets and now through the one who is to come, Jesus Christ. Remind us again what this season is truly about, love, hope, peace, and joy. Calm us down. Slow us down. Help us remember that it is in loving relationship that you gave your son to us, and it is in loving relationship that your word is carried into the hearts of the people. Nothing that can be purchased, no gift, no decoration, no ornaments, no string of lights could ever convey your eternal message adequately. You have given us the light to shine in our path, and cut through our darkness. Shine in the hearts of your people today. For those who are struggling, bless them with your healing, reconciling, comforting presence and love. Give strength to all who face difficult situations and let your compassionate light shine on them, guiding their decisions and their steps. Bring us at last to your presence for the light of hope and love continually pour out on us. These prayers and hopes we offer in confidence and gratitude for your love and presence. Amen. In this very busy season, our most important preparations will happen in our hearts. When we make way for God in our lives, when we prepare the way of the Lord. 
In the midst of our preparations, we bring gifts so that with God's help, we can shine God's love through the ministry of this church and in our own lives. Will the ushers please come forward? One extra thing this morning. In the pews, there are envelopes for our, Christ, our Christmas mission offering. And in your newsletter, there is a note as to what the Christmas mission offering goes towards, if you are curious. Thank you, ushers. stand and join us. Oh. 
Friends, this evening there is a lessons and carol service both at 4.30 late afternoon and 7 p.m. tonight featuring music by the chancel choir, the handbells, instrumentalists along with the narration of the Christmas story and congregational singing of carols. So I hope you'll want to be there for that. Friends, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has a purpose in you being there. Christ, who indwells you through his spirit, has something he wants to do uniquely through you. Believe it and go in God's power and love. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus the Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you and those you love now and in the life everlasting. And we say together...